Hi, and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. This is a marketing podcast like you haven't heard before. It's about real connections and honest conversations. Why am I here? To remind you that you can fly. If you're brave enough to listen to that calling inside you, I'm here to serve you and show you that marketing can and should be honest, that the truth sells and authenticity wins. So how can businesses and brands build a real and authentic audience? The Authentic Audience Podcast gives you insight into growing your business and marketing strategies to gain real followers and loyal customers. Each week, I create a space of radical honesty for thought leaders and entrepreneurs who have built successful businesses to share their insights on business, marketing, relationships, life, and spirituality. Each episode is sure to remind you the power of storytelling and truth selling. Get ready to get real, get raw, get honest, and keep growing. Eric Turneson is the founder and CEO of Member Mouse and the founder of Learn Gong Fu Tea. He's a music composer. And uh, we just started talking about this, actually. And I wanted to just pick up where we were talking about uh, identity and introducing yourself around your bio and why I couldn't find a bio for you uh, (laughs) to read at the beginning. Uh, So could you elaborate more on what we were just talking about? Because I think that's so important for entrepreneurs. Sure. So, um, yeah, you were asking me, oh, I can't find a bio anywhere. It's like, yeah, I, I don't like writing bios. It's, it's actually hard for me to say things about myself in general. But in reflecting on it, um, I think it's a preference of mine that happened over time because uh, I've been an, a quote-unquote entrepreneur for 10 years, starting my business in 2009, my software company. And um, having the experience where people meet me and they ask me what I do and I tell them and then immediately sensing that they start, they lock themselves into how they're going to deal with me and treat me based on the fact that I tell them I'm a CEO of a company. So at some point I change it to like, I work for a software company so that they stopped thinking, you know, cause sometimes people hear CEO and they, and then they're like, there's kind of like this hierarchical thing that they do where they put you above something else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, first of all, I don't deserve that just because of the fact I give you a title. But second of all, I didn't want, because, pe- you know, as soon as somebody has an expectation of, of you, you can fall from that expectation. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want that kind of pressure. So I started saying I work for a software company. But then even that is like, oh, well, you're a technology person. So therefore, right. you, you're not interested in these types of things. So then I just there was a period of time where I just didn't have an answer for people. I'd be like a deer in a headlights. I'd be like, uh, I don't know what to say. Um, I don't even know what I say now. Cause I, I we don't meet people a lot in person yeah. these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I have a similar experience when I tell people I'm in marketing because, um, you know, sales and marketing definitely has a, uh, energy to it that people like to give it. And so, um, I find myself in a similar identity crisis because how can you really tell somebody who you are anyway, or what you do, um, in that amount of time. So welcome to the conversation that we were just having and welcome Eric to the podcast. Um, how are you? What's going on in your world? Tell me, tell me everything. Okay. Yeah. I'm actually doing really well. Um, I, I just had a conversation with, uh, a partner of mine, actually, uh, Gregory, who we do the tea stuff together. So we were actually just doing a tea review and a tea review to us is like, we just sit down and we, we drink a tea and record it as we're drinking it. So it's, it's really like a no, 
pressure type type of thing. Um, but the tea was really good. So I'm, I'm actually feeling really good right now um, from the energy of that tea. What makes tea good to you? Like what makes mm. tea really good? The same thing um, that makes a conversation with a person good uh, or bad, right? It's, it's how you feel during and after the conversation energetically. Because um, to me, that's, that's the relationship that I've developed with tea in terms of developing my sensitivity to, to it is it's having a conversation. And so the tea that I choose to drink is based on, okay, how many feeling, what type of support could I use right now? What, what friend can I call, you know, my feeling low energy and I need to do something. I am feeling like really spun out and I need to bring myself down. Who's the friend I can call to help me with that. And tea is, has such a wide spectrum of energies that um, assist with all those different things. So that's, that's how I find it most useful in my life. Yeah. I really like that explanation of it. It's kind of like, I feel that way sometimes with my essential oils, depending on, mm -hmm. uh, what I'm experiencing or what I need. Um, that's how I choose that. So it's not really based on smell or what smells good or what tastes good. It's the energy right. that I'm needing in that moment. That's cool. Um, so I start every podcast, uh, the same way and that's, what is your, why, uh, why do you get out of bed in the morning? What fuels you right now? What gives you peace? Well, that's an interesting question to ask me at this time in my life. <laughs> um, because I actually don't necessarily have a strong why right now I do, but it's not like, it's not what I'm used to my why's being, which is, Oh, when I was starting my company, it was very clear. Like I had objectives, I had goals. I need, I need to accomplish this thing. It was very like measurable stuff. Um, at this point in my life, after five years being on a very specific spiritual path, um, you know, getting more into subtle energy things like working with T energy, working with energy in general, asking the question like, who am I? You know, having daily meditation practice, all this stuff. It's like, yeah, what is what is my why? And I f I find that more and more i it becomes a it, it becomes a question of surrender it's like it's not even like I, I can ask myself that question um the why of who i am becomes clear to me when i'm in motion like right now my why is simply to um to be present for this and allow what comes through me to come through me you know but when this is over it's kind of like the, you know, we actually talked about this in our previous conversation, this, this kind of like cyclical up and down, like you're engaged in something, you have a purpose. And then once that purpose gets completed, there's this period of like, like a depressive sensation in relative, in, in relative comparison to that, that, that uh, being on feeling of having, knowing what you're doing. So I guess then to kind of put a bow around that, the why is to constantly be listening and checking in and, and being um, present with myself and, and honoring uh, where I'm at, which I think, you know, we're going to talk about burnout. We'll get into more how I've learned that not honoring where I'm at really is the thing that leads to that, the burnout. Yeah. I think that honoring where you're at is so important. And we talked about that. 
um, earlier this week when we spoke about just being where you are. And I am definitely a fan of that uh, way of thinking. Um, I would love to talk about burnout. So that's what really excited me about talking to you as well as I want to learn all about your interest in tea, why tea, you know, how you got into this mm-hmm. and you've made such like pivotal shifts, um, in the last five years. Did that come from burnout? You know, I have a lot of questions around that. Uh, right. I experienced burnout for the first time, uh, in the spring and it's shifted everything. I thought I had experienced it before, I was just tired. I was just stressed. That was not burnout. So my first question is like, what is your definition of burnout? How do you define it? And what's been your experience with it? You know, it's actually interesting that you asked me that question. You know, because I, um, I was thinking about this earlier today. Uh, and if, if I hadn't been thinking about it earlier today, I wouldn't necessarily have had an answer for you. It's kind of like, you know, when you go to take a test and that feeling of like, oh, I really don't know the answer to this. Um, kind of like when you need to prove your uh, who you are over the phone to somebody and they have all this database of like the car you owned like 10 years ago. And every time somebody asks me to verify my identity, I'm like, oh crap, am I going to be able to pass this test about stuff that happened in my life? You know, because like the computers know. Anyway, um, I think the the answer that I came to is like, I, I kind of visualized a candle, right? Like burnout is when in order for a flame to happen, there needs to be a fuel. So burnout happens, first of all, when the fuel runs out. That's first stage burnout. Second stage burnout is if you keep trying to have a flame going when there's no fuel, which essentially means you're destroying the mechanism for the candle to even happen in the first place. Because if, you, if the candle just goes out when the fuel goes out, that's totally fine, right? But if you keep trying to burn the candle when there's no fuel, then the fuel that's going to be found is the the mechanism itself to allow the candle to do its thing. And I think that's those are the different stages of burnout. Like, and I think the, the very common one, the shoot, the big ones are you completely miss the fact that you've run out of fuel. And you're just like burning all this other stuff that actually are necessary for your well-being in order to continue this, this path forward. I think that's a really good definition. And I like how you have the stages. Mm-hmm. Um, I think state, the first stage is sort of actually easier to recognize. Like I'm tired, I'm burning. Um, and it's okay. I like what you say about it's okay for the candle to go out when you're out of fuel, yeah. but that to then keep going, Um, that's when it leads to serious mental and physical, um, experiences. What are some of the mental and physical experiences? Like, you know, so many people listening to this podcast are entrepreneurs, small business owners. Um, you know, we, we kill ourselves for our business. It's totally crazy. It's this crazy mindset that we have that I'm looking to shift. And I think that's why I really wanted to have you on this podcast because, um, when I got to that place of burnout and I haven't really been super open, uh, about what exactly led to that, but it was, you know, exactly that it was trying to keep going when I had no fuel left, um, emotional, professional, physical, it was all gone. And it was so bad. Like I had no choice, but to stop. 
Um, and a lot of people don't have that luxury. So when you're experiencing burnout, I just had to completely stop. Um, went to taking, I like lived in the bath for like five days That sounds great. in the dark, like in the dark, in the bath mm-hmm. for literally five days. Once I hit that final wall, couldn't get out of bed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm really grateful that I have a team. I have people around me. I could take time off, but a lot of people can't, a lot of people are just like living in burnout. Um, So I want to talk to that about how you can maybe recognize or avoid or just um, get yourself to a place where you don't hit burnout, take a break, do it again, hit burnout. Because that's sort of, I think, been my experience in a lot of people's is I hit, I got burnt out. I took a break. Now I'm back. And today, just this last week, I put in more hours than I have in a really long time. And I'm like, my husband was like, you're working too much again. Like it's coming back. So how do we deal with that cycle? And also if people can't take a break, what do we, what do we do? Yeah, well, that's the ideal obviously, but, um, you know, in looking at, in looking at, um, working with any problem, there's, I think three different parts to that one is preemptive, make, make it, make sure it doesn't happen preemptively which is ideal, but usually not possible in all scenarios. The second one is being aware when it's happening and okay, taking a step back. And the third one is stuff happens that makes it, makes it such you can't even ignore it. Mm -hmm. And then you have to deal with that. You have to deal with the aftermath of destruction. So ideally you can do the first one. If that's not possible, do the second if that's not possible, you have to deal with the aftermath. And the fact is, I think in our lives, and I think this is part of the reason that burnout happens is that we don't necessarily acknowledge that all three of those phases are a natural part of our lives. And so if we try to avoid destruction, that itself can lead to burnout. You know, like if we think that, Mm -hmm. oh, destruction has happened in my life and it's a problem, well, you can get burnout about being burnout, you know, and then now be really hard on yourself. Like this shouldn't have happened. I should have done better. I could have avoided this, you know, which is, you know, is, is unfair. Um, and so I think um, being kind to ourselves is definitely a first step. Like, you know, and so much of the entrepreneurial thing um, in the fabric of the DNA it is, it is of, I think the shadow aspect of it is this unrelenting movement, perceived movement forward towards achieving a certain goal that you want to accomplish, Um, which really is setting the scene for burnout Mm -hmm. because it's, it's basically denying in a sense, not on purpose, but it's denying that whether or not something works out isn't hundred percent up to us. Like I look back on, I look at where Member Mouse is now and why it's successful and why I'm successful in the things that have come to my life. And I realize that so much of it has to do with these kind of serendipitous, like I could have been like busting my butt for like six months on something and nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden, some strange person from who knows where comes into my life. We have a conversation, something magically works out. And there you go. The next plateau of the business happens in the moment. I, what did I have to do with that? You know, I pretty think much that nothing. Is such an important 
thing to acknowledge that I actually have not like that was just a, an aha moment for me, I think, um, because I say that all the time. Like I believe in like these serendipitous moments and timing and energy and intuition and all that stuff. But so much of our success is outside of our control or what our perceived control, right? The, the hustle, the daily work, the every, the grind, I guess. Um, and then there are these little moments, these little connections, these being in the right place at the right time that actually take us to the next level. And for me, those times have actually been when I wasn't working, when I wasn't thinking about getting to the next level, or when I was like, totally burnt out and not wanting help with work, then it comes. So I think that that is just a very important thing yeah. to sit with and acknowledge. And as somebody who's a control freak, it's difficult, um, right, to not have a ton of control over our success and and our the livelihood or, or long-term longevity, whatever you want to call it as your business. And yes, we have daily responsibilities and things that we have to take care of to make things function. But um, why are you focused on talking about burnout now? And why do you think so many people are experiencing it? And like, for me, it was just like, oh, burnout. Like it was like this term kind of like um, chronic fatigue or uh, uh, what is it? Fa uh, when you like have sore muscles, it's this thing that people don't, yes, that people are like, is that real? Oh, yeah. And that's kind of how I felt around burnout. Like, is that real? And then I experienced it, the not being able to get out of bed, not being able to open my laptop, fully depressed, physically, totally mentally fucked up the whole thing. I'm like, this is burnout and this is real. And what do you do about it? And where do you go from here? Because when you're in the pit of it, right. it's really hard to have any type of rational thinking, positive thinking. Um, mm -hmm. So where do you go when, you know, if somebody's experiencing just total burnout or has experienced it or has a friend that is experiencing it, where do you start? Well, that's the thing. I mean, we're talking about basically the destruction happens and how do you work with the aftermath? I personally, probably not the expert on that. I'm, I'm not the expert on anything, but to me, that's the least interesting because to me, that's basically what happens when you ignore the, the more subtle messages that happen so frequently and often before that. Mm. Um, like to me, the more interesting thing is like preemptive. Yeah. Let's talk about how that. Do, yeah. How, how do you live your life such that major burnout is not a foregone conclusion? Because you can basically see people leading a certain lifestyle. You're like, okay, that's not sustainable. That's going to, that's going to crash and burn. You can see that. Um, or you can look at somebody's lifestyle like, oh, that's very balanced. And, and I can see how they're, they're tending, they're tending things such that that major destruction isn't going to happen. Of course, we don't have control, so stuff can always happen. Right. But it's about what do we have control over? And um, so much of the foundational, for me anyway, I'm also, you know, the first five years of my business is all about control. And that's what led to my burnout thing is wanting to be in control. And the fact of the matter is we don't have control, we can't have control. So if you try to do something, if you try to accomplish something that's not possible, you know, you're going to get tired. And, um, you know, so relinquishing control and surrender ultimately 
is a lot less stressful. Easier said than done, right? That's more of like the end result than the way to get there. It's not like, because then you can be like, then you can make that a control thing. I need to let go of this and be hard on yourself and get burnout on like not doing a good job about not having stress in your life, stress out about being stressed. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that think, resonates. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the thing that I think most people don't want, don't recognize consciously is that basically we live each day and the net result of what we do every day is going to lead to what our lives are like. It's not like, it's not like, uh, something magically is going to rescue us in the future from, from bad habits. Right. Like we have the control that we do have is what am I going to do in this moment? Am I going to, if I have the choice between, you know, taking a 15 minute mental, uh, relaxation break versus like scrolling through endless things on Instagram, if I constantly choose to go do the Instagram thing, that's going to lead that's going to be the fertile ground of my life garden for a certain type of plant. If I instead repetitively choose to give myself 15 minutes of quiet and mindfulness, that's going to lead to another type of life garden with a certain type of plants that flourish in that soil. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's the little things done over time that make the biggest impact the Grand Canyon was created by water. I mean, there are some arguments about this, aliens and electricity and whatnot, but let's sure, just, sure. but the, you, you know that water has this, water is the softest thing and has the power to create and, and work away rock, you know? And so it's the small things that we do on a daily basis that lead to the fruit. But the problem, the challenge then becomes that a one of commitment, you know, we, we have a challenge culturally, I think, um, committing to intangible goals. It's easy to us to work for five years, working 60 hours a week to, to have the vision of making a million dollars. But yet it's very challenging to say, to, to say, I want to meditate 10 minutes a day, every single day, no matter what, for the, for the result of, of inner peace. Mm. Yeah, commitment. Because commitment think, leads to the result. It's just yeah. about what are you committing to? Yeah. I think that that's a really important point is it's easy to commit to something that you can clearly see the end result. And um, for me, I can actually see, like I was so committed when I was first in experiencing burnout to this daily bath idea I also do tea. I have like my ritual that brought me back to life. And I was funny enough, like so attached to that, like almost like scheduling my day, this control thing. That's why that really like, I have to be in control about surrendering kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, that really resonates with me. And I think a lot of people have that experience and I can already see in like the last two weeks as I launched something new and um, like my daily practice is my daily practice that hasn't gone away because that's not for me. I don't know if that makes sense, but the things that are for me, the bath, the candles, the quiet time, the meditation time, like when I'm praying, uh, that's not for me, right? That's 
for my teacher. That's like easy to do because it's in service of the other. But I find that when I'm to be in service of myself is a really hard practice. And ultimately by taking baths, by going for walks, by being quiet is it is in service of my business. It's actually the best thing I could probably do for my business. But in the moment, it feels like it's this selfish sort of act. And I think that that piece of self-care is such a bummer that there's this like selfishness around it, around the idea of self-care and and taking care of ourselves to avoid this kind of situation. Um, But for me, even over the last couple of weeks, I can feel it slipping away. My baths are becoming shorter. I'm skipping my morning walks. I didn't have my tea last night because I was working on this course, you know, and, and getting back into that daily practice of self-care is I think a great gateway to the bigger spiritual um, world that exists. And I want to talk about self-care and what some of your self-care practices are, how you discovered them and how you keep doing it every day. And maybe we can talk to, to the idea that taking care of yourself is maybe selfish. Oh yeah, it's definitely selfish, but that's a good thing, right? It's well, yeah, of course. I mean, and this is, you know, it's you and I, we're, we're, we're human you know, and so this is where we're at. Like we have to honor it, you know, and yes, it's selfish because we're thinking of ourselves, but if it's, it's, it's all subtle mind direction, when things are at the level of the mind and story and rationality, et cetera, et cetera, it's always, we're included at the, the, the mental level. So it's always about us in a certain way, but of course you can get, you can mind after self like by going down that road because yes it's true but you don't need to it doesn't need to be the focal point um the fact i think the the surrender aspect is to doing the action doing the activity the surrender and the commitment aspect of daily practice self-care whatever you know because to me meditation is Mm self-care right the the allowing of the the mind to take backseat or even disappear to allow to allow energies beyond my the place where I feel I exist when I control things to allow those things to come forward you know and be kind of take a bath in it um that surrender because ultimately those that willingness to do that is what has transformed me it's not it's not that I did any it's not that my mind molded right. myself. It's that I, over time, you know, over a number of years, I did enough of that such that it's for the greater good. And yes, there was, there was the mind has to be brought along at whatever stage of the process. So like I would use tr- tricks of myself, like, okay, what, what do I consider a treat? You know, eating food, you know, eating, and, and they do this in India too. Like mm-hmm. children are just taught, like you don't eat until after meditation. So you use, you basically use your limitations as your, as your motivation, because if you constantly give yourself what you need or want all the time without working for it, well, then you become entitled. Mm. You think I should always have this. I should always have what I want. You become impatient and impatience leads to frustration and frustration leads to being an asshole. Such, you know, you're Mm -hmm. not because that's true selfishness. 
mm-hmm. because you cannot see past your own needs to what somebody else might need. You know, that's uh, so, but in a sense, when we help ourselves in a way that where we become like to me, uh, and I didn't necessarily think about this in the beginning, but now I think about what, what my energetic field is like when I'm in the presence of other people, how, how is, how I am influencing other people, because Mm -hmm. I certainly am sensitive enough now to energy to know that when somebody's going through a challenging situation, that's sending out waves of energy that influences everything around them. Just as real as the physical waves when a pebble's dropped in the ocean or the, the lake and the ripples move out. Um, it's real. Um, there's a certain level of quietness and, and developing of, of certain listening mechanisms to actually experience that and feel it, but it's totally real. Mm-hmm. And we all know this, like mm-hmm. you're sitting in a park having a picnic, a pleasant picnic, picnic with a friend of yours. And then like 50 feet away, somebody's getting mugged or some couples having a really heated argument. Like you feel the energy, like you may not sense it in the same way that I do or the way that Krista does, or we wouldn't want sense it the same, but you, there's a disturbance in the force. Yeah. And at a subtle level, that's what we're all doing. We're walking around with these energy fields and we're conscious or not conscious, but we're influencing each other. It's very complex soup. And, you know, uh, it's, and it's so complicated because it's not just now with the digital world, just because somebody, just because something's coming through electronically doesn't mean it doesn't have an energetic power. Oh yeah. Influences one person that influences them. And then they influence them or people around them. And if people are just all unconscious about this, everybody gets crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I love this conversation, how it's going towards energy, because that's how I basically relate to everything in life is through Mm -hmm. and about energy. Um, and it's, it's hard, but I think that that's a really perfect example to give to somebody who might be like, well, how do you feel a certain energy? And that's a great example of being in the park or, you know, having an experience where somebody next to you is talking about something and it's hard not to be affected by that in some way. Um, now we have these tools and we have these different strategies or exercises to sort of block out certain energies or get rid of or clear, right? Because for me, um, I think, well, two things. One, um, it's really hard for me to just block an energy. Like I'm not going to put a bubble up. I don't want to live life that way. And so many people for so long were like, you have to put a bubble up. You have to put a bubble up. And for me, it's about letting the energy in, but letting it out. Um, So absorbing it and getting rid of it. And we have so many different ways of doing that. And that to me is real living. Having an energetic wall up is just, you're not getting to actually experience the beauty of all that being attracted to different energies is. Um, That's the first thing that I think is super beautiful. The second part of that though, kind of goes back to burnout. And with me, I affected everyone around me um, during that time. I was having a pity party. Um, people were really irritated by me. People were really annoyed by me. I get that I'm very intense. So when I'm having an experience, everybody in the room is having an experience. And I think awareness to that, um, especially if you are in business or like you said, have a social media following and are putting something out on your story or on your post, that's going to have an effect on other people 
consciously or subconsciously, they're going to be affected by your energy. And at the end of a call I had the other night, um, you know, this woman at the end, she was new to the group. So I stayed late to talk to her and she's like your energy that you bring to it. And that to me is the best compliment. And you can only be in that energy. Like there's no bullshitting or faking energy, which I also like. Um, so when I was experiencing burnout, I was being where I was at, right. I was energetically depleted, but it was depleting those around me. And I think that is where this idea of self-care, really, because it's easy to be in service to the other. It's easy to be in service to those we love. So for me, thinking about taking care of myself and taking time to do the walks, the baths, the rituals, the exercises, et cetera, was actually creating a better energy field for everyone experiencing me and therefore the ripple effect. And I think that's just a beautiful way to think about it and maybe make it feel less selfish and more. Yeah. I mean, there's there's two, one's a quote and one's just something I've heard people say around this time. One is from Gandhi, which is be the change you want to see in the world. And the second one is that people are saying it's really hard to be single during quarantine. The, the first, the second one first. So if you find it hard to be single during quarantine, that essentially means you're not ready for relationship, in my opinion, because it basically means you can't be in relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. You're looking for something else to help you with the challenging, rigid edges of your character. And it's not, and that's, it, I'm saying it very directly because it's, it's easier to understand directly, but everything has nuance. Relationships are also the things that help us round out the harsh edges of us. We can't, we can't know everything about ourselves through our own personal work. But if you're avoiding relationship with yourself, that's a totally different thing. Um, so look at that, if that's something you, you believe, but the second one from Gandhi, um, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, you know, now is also a very tricky time because there's so many external things that, that are asking for attention, um, asking for people to take action on, or I should say inviting people to take action on. And, uh, it can be very neat reactive to have the first thing always be thinking about what can I do externally? What can I do externally? How can I fix the external world? What actions can I take to fix the external world? And that's great to think about. And also if you're not like you were talking about, if you're not taking care of your energy first, it doesn't matter what actions you take, whether you think they're in service or not. If you're, fearful, if you're low energy, all you're going to be doing is putting that out there even more. And it's like, it's the most clear thing. I'm sure everybody's had this experience, disingenuineness, whatever. Got it. (laughs) Like somebody says to you a certain set of words that are supposed to be like a compliment or make you feel good, but you're like, wait, that didn't feel good. That sounded like they were telling me to like, f off or something mm-hmm. but they told me that they love me or that they mm-hmm. appreciate what i did or whatever because what you're feeling is the energy the energy like you were saying the energy doesn't lie and so we can and this is again the symptom of our culture where it's all about external and if you want to get the like the the, the bulk of this uh experience go live in la you know like 
you know, like so much of that culture is about how you are perceived to be, not how you actually are. Um, and so we're all actors in a sense and actresses, you know, we're playing a role. Um, but to me, meditation is about kind of going off script. Like, like you asked me in the beginning, what's your why? Like, and I, I find it's like, it's actually nice not to know mm -hmm. all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's less stressful. It's, it, it leaves room. It's like that, uh, that woman who wrote that book. Um, I don't know her name, but about how to like fold things in your house and your kitchen to make, oh, yeah. you know who I'm talking about yeah. Maria Kondo or something like yeah. that. But one of the things I think she said in that is always leave an open space in a drawer. I don't know if that was her or is that a feng shui thing, but you know, it's like, if you don't have any open space, there's no room for anything new. Mm. And there's a tea story that's like that too, where uh, an educated man goes to a master tea guy to get some, to, to learn about tea. And he's asking him, so explain to me all the, about tea. And he's asking so many questions and the master ends up pouring tea in his cup, but he doesn't stop when the cup is full. And the scholar's like, well, wait, stop. You're, you're overflowing my cup. And he's like, well, you know, your mind is the same way. It's so full of things. There's no room for anything new, mm. you know? And, and so there is definitely not enough importance and value in our culture placed on creating space in the day. And it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. Everybody's meditation practice is going to be different. You don't have to look at a Buddhist statue and be like, okay, that's what it looks like. It doesn't, you know, you could take a walk. Yeah. Swim, you know, yeah. what, you know, it, it, in the beginning, it's going to be a more, if you're not used to meditating, it's going to be a more physically involved activity to help the mind yeah. make that transition. Definitely. Do it consistently over time. It will naturally transform into more subtle expression. Yeah. I think that's a really great way of putting it. And I totally agree. I also really appreciate you saying, you know, um, it's really hard to have an external effect that you want to, if you're not taking care of your energy. And I've had this experience with somebody very close to me recently. I needed to actually, you know, take a pause on having his energy around me so much because it was just affecting me and my work. And, um, he was shocked and I'm like, man, you got to look at your energy and start taking care of yourself because it's really different and it's really affecting me. And I know I'm really sensitive, um, but subtly it's going to affect people. And the other part of that is when I had burnout, uh, it was the same week, literally that George Floyd was murdered mm -hmm. and the black lives matter movement picked up. And I felt so much guilt for not immediately going out to the protests and for not get, taking up, you know, um, social media posts and giving, a, I was so depleted energetically that I actually had no choice, but now looking back on it, had I gone to a protest with that energy, I would have been doing no good, no help, no peace, none of the actual things that I would have wanted had I been in the right state to accomplish. And I felt so much guilt throughout that. And now looking back on it, I don't, I handled it exactly as I should have. And when I was able to give energy, I could, 
But I think that that's such an important point just to touch on one last time what you said about that, because I think that's sort of like the root circle or, you know, I think of burnout as sort of this like something we want to avoid. But once we get into it, it's like this circle that just kind of repeats itself. And by feeling that we have to give ourselves to something, even though we energetically cannot, is sort of the root of that problem. And the Black Lives Matter thing was so big for me because I'm it just brought up so much guilt um, on top of the guilt. Obviously, I was already experiencing with privilege um, about not being able to participate as much as I wanted to. And just have to take care of my energy in that way. And because I did, I was able to show up in a much better, healthier, energetic way later on. And yeah, I just think that's so important. And thank you for saying that. Um, I want to talk about tea now. Um, I want to know how you found it, how you got into this. Um, it seems like you've really dedicated a lot of your life right now um, to this course. I was looking at it this morning. So can you share more about it? Um, actually, what is Gong Fu Tea? And sure. all of it. So Gong Fu Tea is essentially just a practice of brewing leaves. I mean, there's a lot of, that's that's a very simple way of putting it. There's a okay. lot of props involved and special different times of t types of uh, kettles to brew pots to brew tea in and different materials and it comes very nuanced and and specific but essentially the simple way to put it is you're you're learning to brew tea now hmm. um how i came to it is um a girlfriend of mine at the time this was in 2015 invited me to go to a tea ceremony and um it was just such a profound experience to me um it was kind of like clearly like there's a there's a way I can tell the story about what happened. Um, and that is true. These are the events that happened. But really, it was it was like a grace brought it into my life because there's, you know, it's not going to have the same profound impact for everybody. But if it's your medicine, it will speak to you. Mm. Like I uh, since I've been doing it for four years. I've been doing it like an Airbnb uh, experience in person where people come and drink tea at my home. Cool. And, you know, I could always tell when there was a person in the group who like tea was their medicine. Mm. And I think that's really important, you know, talking about self-care and it's important to find something that's your medicine, like something that helps you kind of become, build a relationship with yourself. And the thing that's nice about tea is it's one of those kind of like practices like you know we were talking about how running and swimming like is it is it brings physicality into it so that it kind of introduces you to a meditative practice tea is that as well and it was i didn't have a meditative practice at the time hmm. so going through the process of learning to brew tea and it's it's just like everything if you if you spend time with it every day it becomes a teacher it shows you where your hang-ups are like in the beginning, I was being very precise. I was trying to cr control the situation. I had a, because water temperature is very important in tea. I had a laser thermometer that was telling me the water temperature. I had a, a timer to tell me how long I was brewing the tea, you know, trying to scientifically approach it, which was mm. a comfortable way for me to do it. But ultimately where tea guided me is to become more intuitive and sense how the leaf feels. Like when I pour water on it, I, I have an emp empathetic, connection with the, the leaf that tells me if it's too hot or too cold for the leaf. And um, 
it's the kind of thing where I say that and I know exactly what that's like, but it's the kind of thing, even if I told myself five years ago, I would have no, you know, there's no, you can't, if you don't, that's why, you know, even though somebody is enlightened and they tell you how they, how, how their life is, it doesn't just automatically make everybody enlightened. There's no skipping the journey. And so, you know, tea is, that's the, one of the amazing things about tea is it is in itself a journey. There's so much depth you can go into it. It's even got the pair, all the perils of life in it too. You can lose yourself in the data. You can make it about, Oh, mm-hmm. you nerd out about it, make it a mental thing. And that's totally fine. If that's, if that's people's path with it, but my path is, is one of listening, learning to listen, one of surrender. Um, and also coming to something with a presence, like even though I may drink the quote unquote same tea every day, it's different every day because mm-hmm. I'm different every day and no factors are ever the same as they are. So there's all of these little micro lessons that, that come through the practice of tea for me. And, and also um, you're talking about uh, how our energy influences others. Well, the first practice for me was learning to brew tea for myself and my relationship with it. But now I don't know. I don't necessarily drink tea every day at this point. Mm. Um, I, uh, I use it more as it's one of the tools that I have now. So if I'm right. going to meet with somebody, tea is always a part of it because right. it's, it's, I, I think of it like a magic show in a way, like you see what I'm doing is like, there's a pot, there's, there's, there's physical things going on, but I'm so used to, and in, at one with those physical things that what I'm doing is working with energy. And the end result of that is that through my practice and my relationship with it, what ends up happening is there's a container created that naturally when I'm sitting with somebody, whatever needs to come to the surface comes to the surface. Doesn't, doesn't matter if I've known this person for five minutes or five years, because it's a mechanism for bringing stillness into somebody's life. And Stillness, I think, which is just one word for the divine. There are many words. Stillness is a true healer. None of us do any healing on people. We can become a vehicle for appropriate healing energy to come through. Um, but ultimately, if there's true something happening, it's not us that's doing it. Uh, um, and because when it's truly transformational, it's very profound. Like, you know, your experience with that woman the other night, I mean, that's essentially what happened there, right? Like you have your teapot, right? You have your tea leaves. It doesn't look like my teapot and my tea leaves, but you do have the mechanisms that you work with, the magic show that you're doing, the things that you're moving around in front of, here's a, a page or whatever. I don't know what your particular physical level world things are, but you're, that's what people are looking at, but you're working with energy. Mm-hmm. So exactly. It's like the pill and the meat. You know, yeah. like when you want to give a dog some medicine, you don't try and give them the medicine directly. Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful way of putting it. It's like I always have said, and uh, my teachers have said, you know, your practice here or your purpose here is a spiritual and energetic mm-hmm. one, and you mask it with your marketing company. And it's kind of mm-hmm. the same thing with tea. Um, you know, it's it's this mechanism for creating that connection, that stillness, that ritual. And I think that's super beautiful. I think that tea personally is like that the idea of brewing tea and um, having tea ceremonies the way you have, it feels really overwhelming. So 
And like, there's so much of it. Like when I went to Japan, um, and went to Kyoto, like you go into these shops and there's so many different teapots and leaves and, um, I didn't buy anything. So that's why I think your course is so cool and why I'm so interested in it because, um, it sort of removes the, you have to be a professional and, you know, spend hours and hours a day studying this thing. So can we talk a little bit more about the course and why you created it and how it's going? Yeah. Uh, the why, again, it was great. It was interesting because I didn't actually have a plan to do it. Mm-hmm. I was having tea with a friend of mine one day, uh, here in my home in Santa Fe. And, uh, we were sitting down and talking about things and, and just this thing came into my mind. I was like, I should, you know, we should create a course, uh, <laughs> And I, and, and just like this energy to, to execute immediately came to me. It was like, okay, we're doing this right now. Go get your phone and, and write down an outline. Like, I'm just going to go through the outline right now and it's going to be created. So literally like took 15 minutes, mm-hmm. create the outline. And the next week I shot it. And that was the course essentially. Uh, it was done. Yeah. So I didn't put really any forethought into it. It was no planning. And then everything else is kind of like, again, that, and it's my relationship to this business, business, quote unquote, is very different than when I started the software company. And because this one's more about listening and mm. waiting. So only taking action when it's indicated to take action. Um, and I can do that because I'm not relying on this business to sustain me. Right. That's an I'm important like, piece. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not putting that pressure on it. Cause I, my, my other business does that for me. So I can really practice, have this practice with the business of, okay, I just want to put this, uh, even that thought of, I want to put this out there. That's right. something that doesn't necessarily come to me or is coming from me. Um, so yeah, I just, I have a passion for it and, um, the course happened and now that it's happened, it's out there. And so again, it's a container. So what it's attracting to my life can't be anticipated and expected. So like so far, you know, some of the students, um, like we end up like, they end up just emailing me the first time off and be like, Oh, you know, I'm so glad I found this. I'm dealing with this certain thing in my life and this challenge, and this is really helping. Mm. Um, and again, I think that that's, um, it's because, how do I put this? Again, like going back to the guarding metaphor, it's like when you plant a seed with a certain intention and you water it with a certain way, like the, the, the plant that sprouts up from that, you don't necessarily have control over that. You know, nature knows how to grow something. But ultimately, the vibrancy of that plant does depend on the, how we care for it. Mm. and our intentions when we're growing it. And so I think that the fragrance of this business is is what I'm more interested in exploring about like what is going to come. I don't know. Yeah. And also also like an interesting thing corollary to when I started the software company is before I started Member Mouse I was very adamant that I did not want to start a software company. <laughs> um and also with this business, I was very adamant that I did not want to get into ha- having inventory and shipping fulfillment and all right, this, right. but yet that's become part of it. And that's actually, and once it did become part of it, I saw how, oh, wow, actually this makes a lot of sense that this is a part of it and it's going to help bring people in. It's going to be a different avenue that people can come to it because mm-hmm. now we're also providing tea and we're providing a gung fu tea set. 
Um, so it's this, for me, it's, it's another teacher. It's playing with like the resistance and what my goals are, but then also listening to what's clearly indicated and clearly being asked for. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll go with the, I'll be stubborn and I'll be like, I want to do this. So I'm going to do it. And even when it's not energetically supported, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and I'll, that'll be a certain experience. Yeah. And then things will be energetically supported and I'll may resist them for a period of time, but then ultimately I'll go with them. So it's, it's kind of like another practice for me. And also I think another practice in business is how not to lose myself in it. Mm. You know, like, um, I think with member mouse, my software company, uh, I got to a point where I wasn't, um, I, I, I became so identified with playing a certain role in the business that I really stopped listening to myself, my, you know, and that led to the burnout because I was just living, I was living a role that was, um, no longer fresh and, and didn't provide any energy for me. I was, I felt obligated. I felt like I was fulfilling expectations and businesses can totally like, and I, I feel the gravity of even the tea business, like how it's so easy to fall into. Oh yeah. Wanting to do what people want you to do or what, you know, and, and, and being unwilling to set the boundary and, and not even a boundary, just communicate. Actually, that's not, that's not, that's not in alignment with me. And I think that's so hard. Actually, I don't know what for other people, but for me, it's hard to do in business and in life with relationships because I don't want to disappoint people. Yeah. Um, I don't want to make any waves, but the fact of the matter is burnout for me comes if I'm not, if I'm dishonoring clearly parts of myself that are coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so beautiful. Also, um, what I really like about what you were saying with, and just to sort of tie this back in and wrap this up with the energy conversation is it sounds like you're really honoring the energy of this tea business. It sort of told you like this course needs to come through. We need to start, uh, you know, having inventory and that's something that I constantly am working with my clients on is actually, recognizing the energy of your business, separating yourself. And like you said, with member mouse, and this just happens so much with me, especially it's a daily practice of separating myself, having conversations with my business, asking my business what she needs, how I can serve her and working from that place versus just identifying so strongly with the business. You're actually quite separate. And my business authentic audience, she has her own energy. She has her own agenda. She has her own right now natural, like that garden, um, shape that she's going to take and the energy that I bring to it and put into it is obviously very important, but her energy is separate from mine. And I think with your tea business, um, really listening to that energy and let it, letting it guide you has created this really beautiful offering. And it just goes back to what I always say is intention is everything. And when your intention is in that place of just being of service and, um, not really even intending to create anything other than just being present to what is being asked of you. It just gives it a whole new life. So, um, I really have appreciated this conversation and it's making me really want to order the tea and you've done no sell whatsoever other than sit across from me and drink tea and talk about it as medicine. And I'm like, could this be my medicine? So 
Well, there's only um, one way to find out. Exactly. But so, what I say, what I say to people is like, if it calls, if it says something to you, if there's an interest and a curiosity, then probably it probably has something. Um, but the way that I approached the course, like you were saying, you know, with the Japanese ceremony, I mean, there's so much depth, so it's easy to get it complicated. So yeah. my, my approach with it was to recognize a tea as the ultimate teacher here, not, not me. And so to get people brewing tea as quickly as possible, there's obviously fundamentals that need to be known in order to even start that process. So that gets covered, but the whole, whole approach is to as quickly as possible get to the point where you're pouring water on leaf and starting that conversation because a conversation is where the magic happens. Yeah. So cool. Thank you for your time. I just really appreciate this conversation. We've gotten to know each other a lot this week because we had two interviews. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, something I was thinking uh, that was funny is like podcasts are like an entrepreneur's like sleepover. It's like I, you slept over at my house and that was fun. It's like, oh, you know, later this <laughs> totally. week, I'm sleep over at my house. And yeah, I was just talking to somebody <laughs> that was on my podcast before you today. Today is a big podcast interview day. And uh, he helps people launch podcasts. And it's my favorite part of the business because um, I'm not thinking about my business really. It's how can I be present? How can I engage? How can I show up? How can we deliver value to our audience and be in service to them listening? You know, it never leaves my mind that we're speaking to people, that there's people on the other end of this listening to this conversation. And um, it's my favorite thing to do. So I, yeah. uh, the greatest way to get to know people too. So thank you for your time. If you want to learn more, um, where should we send people to the learn gung fu tea? Yeah. Learn gung fu tea.com is, yeah. is where my tea stuff is. If you want to like, if you're interested in just kind of more about me, you can go to Eric Ashish.com A S H I S H.com. So that covers like all the things that I'm doing, whether it's music composition or awesome. my business podcast or um, tea or life videos where I like film my dog doing stuff and whatever. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, membermouse.com if people are interested in that aspect, but yeah. Awesome. We'll definitely include all of that. And uh, thank you for being here. I feel like I want to go drink some tea and yeah. uh, take some space. Like you've really given me a lot to work with here. I have not taken a break today. I haven't even moved. Um, so I think I'm going to do that. So thank you for inspiring me and thank you for being here. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me. It's been great meeting awesome. you through this conversation and our previous one. So thank you. Yeah. Yes. I'm excited for both of them to come out into the world and to everybody listening. Thank you for being here. And until next time, keep growing. 